Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I wish to thank you for all your prayers concerning this text. And I hope and pray that God would give me the liberty this morning to preach it as it ought to be preached. And then in doing so, not only would Christ be glorified, but your hearts be more fixed upon the amazing grace and mercy of God in Christ. I want to read Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24, and then I'll turn to two other passages of Scripture. Let me read Matthew chapter 11. Then began he, Christ, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. In verse 4, Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Remember that. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. The Lord hath made all things for himself, for his glory. Even, it says, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now, Psalms chapter 145. Psalm 145, verse 10. Keeping in mind our text in Matthew chapter 11. Psalm 145, verse 10. All thy works, all thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. All thy works. Everything God has created, everything God has made, and that is everything, all thy works, the psalmist said, shall praise thee, O Lord. You say, what are you saying? I'm getting ahead of myself. But all things will praise God. Even the damnation of the wicked. All things shall praise God. That scripture, and I'm going to be very slow this morning and take my time because I really want us to grasp scripture this morning and what it proclaims and declares unto us that Scripture must interpret Scripture and not the corrupt opinions and vain philosophies of man, 
is the divine truth, dearly beloved, which we dare not stray nor wander from. That man is prone to add his own private interpretation or handle the Word of God deceitfully or even rest its truths to his own destruction. Beloved, is a danger that we must ever avoid at all costs. We are so prone to add something to the Word of God that isn't there. We're so prone to add our own private interpretation. And sometimes, without even recognizing it or purposely doing it, we handle the Word of God deceitfully and rest it to our own destruction. God give us grace that we allow Scripture to speak for itself, that Scripture interprets Scripture, and that we don't attempt to interpret it of our own. That's why this morning, regarding our message, I want to take my time and go slow, and we're going to be looking and reading many Scriptures, and I hope and pray you bear with me, because it is Scripture which must prove to us and convince us of this divine truth that God is even glorified in the damnation of the wicked, just as much as He will be glorified in the salvation of His elect. Peter talks about Scriptures that seem hard to understand. We must be diligent to follow the light of Scripture for only in its light shall we see light. Therefore, it's with the light of these two verses, Proverbs 16.4 and Psalm 145.10, two of many, it's with these two verses, the lights of these two verses, that we will seek to understand this most weighty passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 11. And let me read those Scriptures one more time before we begin. With these two verses, I want us to examine this passage of Scripture. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. So with that foundation laid, with that hopefully light upon this passage of Scripture, there are three distinct yet weighty truths which Christ would declare unto us in verses 20 to 27, in all these verses. And I won't get to but one this morning because of the weight of it, okay? But I'm going to give you all three that we'll be examining. First of all, the first divine truth that Christ declares unto us in this passage of Scripture, and of which we must observe in the light of other Scripture, that the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, all thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, is this, that God shall be glorified not only in the salvation of his elect, but also in the damnation and destruction of the wicked. He gives woes from verse 20 to 24. Then he lifts his voice up to his Father in heaven and thanks him for hiding these things from the wide and prudent and revealing them unto babes and that all that know the Father know the Son. And then in the latter two verses or three verses of the chapter, he makes a glorious invitation to all those who understand the woes of which he speaks, whose heart has been moved, who've been taught of the Father. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. But first and foremost, 
that God shall be glorified not only in the salvation of his elect, but also in the damnation and destruction of the wicked. Second of all, what Christ teaches us in this text, Christ would have us to understand that there are different measures and degrees of punishment for the wicked. Verse 22, but I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable. He doesn't say it would be pleasant. He said it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Verse 24, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the, uh, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Twice he speaks of a greater degree of punishment for these cities who seen his mighty works and did not repent. That is a very solemn truth that I hope and pray that I can expound as well. And thirdly, there are certainly and without doubt and undisputably a day of judgment coming. Verse 22 and also in verse 24. Day of judgment. Those three things. I hope and pray God gives us grace that we might understand it. And I'll look only this morning of the first because of the weightiness of it. Because I believe this is something that many Christians today are ignorant of. It's hard for them to fathom. And some Christians even believe it's impossible. That God could be glorified in the damnation and destruction of the wicked. First of all, the Lord again hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now let us read these verses once again, 20 to 24. I told you we're going to read Scripture until it impregnates our mind and our hearts. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, forget not, we're speaking about the Son of God who knows the hearts of all men. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what the Son of God is saying. Why am I emphasizing that? Because if you're here this morning without Christ, you need to hear these woes. But I say unto you, verse 22, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven because he did so many works there. He spent a lot of time there. He preached a lot there. They were exalted unto heaven with all that he'd manifested and showed them. He said, shall be brought down to hell. Again, consider those who've heard so much about Christ, who've sat in church on the preaching of the gospel, has heard the gospel message. They've been exalted unto heaven. And yet to reject that and deny Christ and be not repentant and turn to Christ, he says you'll fall down into the depths of hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Here is the same Christ of whom we heard in John 6 who spoke that no man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. Unless you've been taught by the Father and you've learned of the Father, no man can come unto Christ. And here is Christ who know the hearts of all men, and he pronounces a woe. And when God pronounces woe, dearly beloved, let us humbly, oh, let us humbly and submissively listen to what he's saying. When God himself pronounces a woe, a woe it is indeed. 
And yet it's vital for us to understand that Christ is not declaring that he was in any way incapable or unable of turning the hearts of these cities to repent. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in this church. We believe Scripture teaches divine election. We believe that all those the Father giveth unto the Son will come unto the Son. We believe that the Father draweth us unto the Son. We believe that God is sovereign and can draw and break every heart and bring any heart to Christ. He's not saying He was incapable or unable to turn the hearts of these cities to repent. For though he himself declares he did mighty works amongst them, he doesn't say he revealed himself to them. This is an amazing statement. He rebukes them, upbraids them for not repenting. Yet he's the one who must turn the heart. He's not saying he was unable or incapable. What Christ is doing, what Christ is declaring is that he did all those mighty works in those cities, knowing they should never repent, so that he might prove and declare and proclaim that God shall be justified in your damnation and in your destruction. He did all these things to exalt them to heaven that he might bring them down to hell. That's a very humbling and fearful thought. Paul said in Hebrews, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, a consuming fire. Christ is not saying I was, it was impossible for me to turn your hearts. He's saying I did those mighty works that God might be justified in your condemnation, in your damnation, in your destruction. I've raised you up to heaven that God can bring you down to hell and be justified in your destruction. That's a mighty thing to say. And some Christians would say, that's morbid. That's impossible. God would never do that. Listen to Christ. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God didn't make them wicked. They became wicked of themselves. And we'll look at that shortly. But I want us to compare with Matthew chapter 11, all these verses down through here, even with him saying of the Father, revealing it and hiding it from the wise and prudent. I want to compare Matthew chapter 11 again anew with Romans chapter 9. Turn to Romans chapter 9 in light of Matthew 11. The woes, thank you, Father, for hiding this from the wise and prudent, revealing it unto babes. And then he makes that wonderful, warm exhortation, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. I want us to compare that with Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Listen to the words of God. Listen. Romans 9, verse 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he what? He hardness. I'm getting ahead of myself. It doesn't say he made them wicked. It said he simply hardened them. All mankind is in sin. All mankind deserves God's wrath and condemnation. We all fell in Adam. Every single man, woman, and child born of this world is under the condemnation of God. God didn't make man wicked. Man made himself wicked when he fell in the garden. So it doesn't say he made him wicked. It simply says he has mercy on whom he'll have mercy and whom he will he hardness. Big difference. Now watch this. Watch what Paul says, even though we've read these verses countless times. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he find fault? For who hath resisted his will? 
Nay, but, O man, who art thou, to repliest against God, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump, watch this, to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? The sovereignty of God. What if God, here it is, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, what did Christ just say in Matthew 11? I did mighty works amongst you. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Bessadia, Chorazin, Capernaum. Long suffering. Many works. Powerful works. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. My Father, I thank you, you've revealed these things, or hid these things from the wise and prudent, revealed them unto babes. All those that know the Father, you see, you see the comparison between Matthew 11 and Romans 9. You see how Christ is confirming, or Paul is confirming what Christ himself said. Do you see what he's saying here? He had the four prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You have vessels of honor. You have vessels of dishonor. You have vessels of wrath. And you have vessels of mercy. In Matthew, you have both. Both. Woe unto you. And then you have, you've revealed it unto babes. You can't know the Father unless you the Son, and the Son reveal the Father. You see how Matthew 11 and Romans chapter 9 so wonderfully harmonize with one another. Beloved, according to Scripture, and that's why we're taking our time, according to Scripture, it was never Christ's intention or His divine purpose in doing mighty works amongst them that they might repent. Even though He holds them accountable. That's the mystery of this. It was never God's purpose, divine purpose or intention, even doing these mighty works, that they should repent, even though he holds them accountable. Because I hopefully we believe, again, on the sovereignty of God, that nothing's impossible for God. God can turn the hardest hard. So Christ wasn't limited by their unrepentive hearts. If Christ was limited by our ability to turn away from Christ, none of us would be saved, for none of us sought God. There was none righteous, no, not one. No, Christ did not lack the ability. Christ did not lack the power to turn these cities' hearts to repentance. He never intended that to happen. But that he might, by such mighty works, harden their hearts, Romans chapter 9. If God, willing to show his power and his long-suffering, endure the vessels of wrath. That's why Christ did the mighty works in Capernaum. Now, before I get too far, and we'll have time in the upcoming weeks to look at this, maybe next week, I do believe there were some in there that understood the woes, and there were some that Christ did reveal himself too because in the latter part of this verse he makes one of the warmest invitations ever in scripture come unto me 
So I, I believe that there are some in those cities that heard the woes, that understood it, and who the Father had taught, who the Father was drawing. So Christ makes that. You see how that's how the gospel goes. That's how the gospel is. You preach the law. What's the law do? It condemns all men. It holds all men guilty before God. You're condemned. You're a vile sinner. God is just and right to condemn you to ever destruction and damnation. And under the guilt of that, man hears the call of God, the drawing of God. Yet there's mercy in Christ. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. But again, I'm getting heading myself. Some of them heard that, and they, like these cities, are unrepentant. They're impotent. It's a dangerous place to be in. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Beloved, we don't take such passages of Scripture as seriously and solemnly as we should. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. It's his choice. He's made all things for himself. And whom he will, he hardens. You remember Pharaoh? God says, I've raised you up to show forth my power. God hardened his heart. And every time it seemed like Pharaoh began to have a soft heart and would say to Moses, okay, we'll let you go, but you can only do so much. God would harden his heart again. God hardened his heart. God kept hardening his heart so that he might show forth his power. You see, preacher, it's hard to believe that God would harden someone's heart that they might not receive the gospel. And yet it's true. For us to deny that would be to deny Scripture, would be to deny His sovereignty. Why would He say such a thing? Why would you preach such a thing? Because there are some, I believe, that were in those cities that heard those woes and who God had intended for them to hear the gospel. Because at the end of this chapter, he makes this glorious invitation to those that heard, those that God opened their ears to. And that's why Christ says in the middle of Father, you revealed them unto babes. And so here these people are, they're standing under this woe. And they're saying, oh God, let not my heart be hardened. Oh God, let not me be in the day of judgment. Let it not be so bad for me in the day of judgment. And so they're standing there under this conviction and guilt because of the divine grace of God. And so Christ says, come unto me, all you that live heavy laden and burdened. Under what? Under sin. Under guilt. Come unto me. That's the glorious invitation. Oh, preacher, you're not allowed to make an invitation. Christ did. The invitation wasn't said in vain. Are you hearing the woes this morning? Are you paying attention? Are you under one of these woes? Have you been unrepentant? Have you been rejecting God? Have you ignored His works? Have you ignored His word? May God open your heart this morning before your heart's so hardened that it's too late. What if God willing to show His wrath? Why do we ignore that? 
Why do churches and preachers so often seem as though they need to excuse or defend the wrath of God? Water it down. Listen to the Word of God. What if God willing to show His wrath? And to make His power known. I did mighty works amongst you. What's His wrath? Woe unto you. Endured with with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted, which means prepared or given up, appointed to destruction, that He would with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. It's God's sovereign right. It's God's sovereign prerogative. Beloved, this is divine truth which should greatly humble every true believer into the greatest praise and adoration to God. Why did He soften my heart? Why did He open my mind? Why did He teach me? Why did He learn me of Christ? Why did He draw me to the Son? There was nothing in and of myself that merited that. I could have been one of those in Chorazin or Bethsaida. I could have been one of those in Capernaum that's going to stand in the day of judgment and it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than it is for me. I could have been one of those. Why did God do that? There's nothing to cry except the grace of God. I pray you hear this morning the woes of Christ that you might not perish or harden your hearts and perish in your Sins, I pray you'd pay heed to what Christ is saying this morning. That this divine truth, like I said, should greatly humble every true believer into the greatest praise and adoration. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross. I cling when I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. It was my, my transgressions, my transgressions that fell on you and caused your deadly pain. Oh, it should create the greatest praise and adoration that God was so merciful to us and did not harden our hearts. Yet it should also create the greatest fear and repentance in the heart of all those who know not Christ. Are you hearing this morning? Are you listening? That one might witness the mighty works of God, yet remain impenitent and unrepenting? They've seen mighty works in Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin. People raised from the dead, the sick were healed, the blind could see some of the greatest messages ever preached by the Son of God, and yet they were unrepentive. Oh, how depraved is man. Listen to the warnings. These warnings, Christ was not just wasting his breath here. I believe this is a warning that he placed in his scripture for all generations. Listen to what he's saying to these cities. Let not the same destiny be yours. Or even a nation who is privileged to witness the power of God in the salvation of souls, the proclamation of the gospel, and yet continue in sin and reject Christ. Beloved, there is undeniably and indisputably evidence of such divine hardening, I believe, across America today. 
we see the evidence of this across America. Look how America has turned against God. Look at the hardness. There is, there is an undeniable and indisputable evidence of God's hardening people. Do we not see this? Our nation should be hearing these woes. Woe unto America. God has given you such light over the last years, 50, 100 years. We've sent out more preachers or more missionaries than any country. We've printed more Bibles than any country. We profess to have more light than any country. And yet look where our country is at today. Rejecting God with prayer in the schools. Scripture, they're turning against God. We see the evidence of God hardening the hearts of Americans. And if these cities which Christ abraded shall receive a greater damnation for not repenting under such mighty works of Christ, what measure of damnation awaits those people, that nation that rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ? He upbraided them because they did not repent because of his mighty works. You know it's more greater than mighty works. You know it's more greater than raising the dead. You know it's more greater than giving sight to the blind. You know it's more greater in the sight of God the Father is the gospel of his Son and a nation and a person that rejects the gospel of Christ. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And to you... Who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Watch this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance. Did you notice that? He's taking vengeance. Taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about that word vengeance? Can you imagine God coming back in flaming fire with this vengeance? You think it was more tolerable for them because they saw mighty works? I don't even think the Lord would use more tolerable for them that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's taking vengeance on them in flaming fire. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. That sounds to me a greater condemnation than the one in Matthew 11. When he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony was believed in that day. Uh, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. You see the difference? This is a wrath, this is a mercy. Yet the Lord hath made all things for himself. He's made all things for his own glory. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Let me quote an old Puritan on this text. I could express it better than I ever could. One we're all familiar with. His name being John Gill. He says in reference to this text in Matthew, or in Thessalonica and in Matthew, and in Psalms, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, he says, and I quote, it is not the sense of this text 
nor of any other passage of Scripture that God made man to damn him. Nor is this to be inferred from the doctrine of predestination. John Gill. God made man neither to damn him nor to save him, but for his own glory, he says. And that is secured, whether in his salvation or his damnation. Nor did he, nor did or does God make man wicked. He made man upright, Ecclesiastes 7. God did. He made man upright. Remember Adam? Made him perfect. Put him in perfect surroundings. God didn't make Adam wicked. He was made himself, he said, wicked. And being so, God may justly appoint him to damnation for his wickedness, in doing which he glorifies his justice. End of quote. That's a wonderful quote. Puts that text really into context. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Capernaum. It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. God will be glorified in the damnation and destruction of the wicked. He will be glorified. He made all things for himself. Yet one might ask, where does that leave me? For I'm yet undone and unrepentive, and I know not Christ savingly. Am I condemned, preacher? Am I condemned to destruction? Is there no hope? Am I too hardened, a vessel of wrath? condemned already to destruction? And I say, oh, my sinner friend, ask not such a foolish question. For if you hear these words of Christ, then you must flee unto him for mercy and grace. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden with sin and guilt, and I will give you rest. If you're sitting under the preaching of the gospel and you hear these woes and you hear these warnings and exhortations and you hear about the mercy and grace of God, never think of yourself too hardened or condemned already, but flee to Christ while you still have time. Flee to Him for mercy and grace while your heart is not yet hardened, for there is coming a day when your heart could be so hardened by God that you will never repent. And so I say, think not such foolish thoughts, but flee to Christ. It's amazing when John the Baptist came about and he was baptizing, he cried out these words. Well, if you've ever considered them or not, maybe not, maybe you have. He cried out, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of come? And people concentrate on the wrath, but listen to his words. He didn't say flee from the wrath of God. He said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of God? The calling to his elect who are under the wrath of God. This is the gospel. The gospel breaks through all that sin and darkness and despair. The gospel breaks through that, giving us a light 
into our hearts and our minds of the mercy and grace of Christ, and it pulls us out of that darkness unto God. It translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. And I beg that you hear that gospel message. And when you do, I pray you flee to Christ with every part of your being, with all of your being. Plead for mercy and grace. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I believe that is the purpose of Christ recording this passage of Scripture in His Word. Not only declaring unto us that God shall be glorified in the destruction and damnation of the wicked, but that He is also glorified in the salvation of His elect. And so God calls His elect out of sin and darkness. I pray this morning you hear the woes of Christ. And when you do, and you realize that you're laboring, and you're heavy laden with the sin of guilt, I pray you come to Christ before it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I pray you make no longer excuses. Every minute is costly. We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat. That's all it is. What keeps your heart going? Well, it's a muscle. No, your blood flows through it. No, God keeps it. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turneth it with us. So your heartbeat, your heartbeat. How many heartbeats you beat a minute? You're one heartbeat. We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. Is it appointed that the man wants to die and then the what? The judgment wants to die. Before that day comes, I pray, you would hear Christ's woes so that you might hear also that he's gracious and merciful. Amen? And that he would have sinners come to him. Oh, may God be gracious to us all in hearing these woes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've done all that I can conceivably do, and I feel so unworthy that I have not even reached, even the, scratched even the surface of thy truth. I pray your word would go out in power for my words. Avail not, I cannot pierce the hearts of those that are yet in sin and darkness. I cannot convince the sinner of their need of Christ. But, oh God, I wish that I could. Yet I can't. In some ways, I understand Paul when he says he wished he was condemned for his brethren's sake. Paul said, I'm all things to all men that I might save some. Lord God, I pray you do a work of grace. In someone's heart this morning, I pray that you'd be glorified in calling them out of darkness and sin and calling them unto yourself so they might know the love and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, dear God, let those words ring in their ears in the midst of the despair and guilt. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let us as thy children Lord, let our hearts be full of adoration and praise for your amazing grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. We ask now that you'd bless the preaching of thy word to hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.